When I was in youth group, we had a youth group intern, which was really a welcome thing to us because our typical youth leader at the time was a 70-year-old lady. So we brought in this guy from college. He was cool. He had big sideburns. He played the guitar. He talked about Star Wars in his sermons. And he wasn't a 70-year-old lady. He was cool. One night he said to us, do you like contemporary Christian music? I laughed at him. No. At the time, I was just as happy to listen to Nirvana and Tupac Shakur. I had no interest in the dial on the radio where my mom liked to listen to music. It was cheesy. It sounded different. You knew it was Christian music as soon as you turned it there. A lot of love songs that put the word Jesus and God instead of baby and honey. He said, no, Christian music is changing. Have you ever heard of the group DC Talk? I had. We had a youth intern the year before who played DC Talk for us. They were a sort of 1990s Christian hip-hop group, and they were terrible. If you're a band member for DC Talk and you're watching this sermon, I apologize to you. But they came out with this new album that made them change. They literally changed the world of contemporary Christian music with the one album that he was referencing, and it was called Jesus Freak. It was very experimental for that genre at the time. Each song on the album mirrored a song from a famous rock band. They had a U2-styled song. They had a Nirvana-styled song. And I have to say, it caught my attention. There was one song on that album, because I wore that album out at home. I'm sure I drove my parents crazy. There's one song that goes, what if I stumble and what if I fall? The question was, what happens if I fail in my faith in front of other people? Will I cause a stumbling block for others? What if my witness is in doubt? At the beginning of the song, there's an author who speaks an epigraph. His name is Brennan Manning. He wrote this book called The Ragamuffin Gospel about Rich Mullins and others. And he says this at the beginning of What If I Stumble? The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And as a teenage boy, I said, really? The greatest single reason for atheism or non-belief is Christians? Really? I mean, it's not the fact that good people suffer in the world. That's a hard question. It's not metaphysical disagreement or logical disagreement with other theories of life. It's not that. Really? It's Christians? It's not something like Modern-day scientism, and yes, I said scientism. That's science weighted with the philosophy of naturalism. It's not scientism that takes people away from God. It's, it's Christians. I don't know that I believed it back then, but as I've grown in my faith, as I've grown in my theological understanding, as I got a Ph.D. and spent 22 years in vocational ministry, I've learned that Brennan Manning is right. It may not be intellectually brilliant to deny the concept of God because of what people do, but guess what, friends? 
That's what people do. When Christians behave badly, it is a major turnoff, not just for the institution called the church, it is a major turnoff for people when they even think of God. This week, as I was thinking through the concepts in the sermon, a friend of mine said, That reminds me of that quote from Gandhi. And I can't justify, or I can't explain to you where this quote comes from. I did a lot of digging, but it is said that Gandhi said this phrase I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Been a pastor for 22 years, I've got a bunch of degrees about it, and I get that point. It makes some sense. Now there's a myth that we've been told. Maybe you've been told it. It's a myth that I've actually helped spread one time or another. And that myth is the idea that to be a good person, to be a moral person, to be an ethical person, you have to follow Christ. You have to be a Christian because otherwise you're just contempt contemptible. I mean, I used to tell it all the time. I remember telling a pastor I worked with, I'm so glad I've been saved by Jesus. Because if I didn't have Jesus, I would have been a scoundrel. I thought to myself, if I weren't a Christian, I knew I'd just end up being a gangster. When I said that at 9, 9 o'clock service, Jim Bell laughed really loud. Really? Do I have to be a Christian in order to follow virtues? I remember going to InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at Illinois State University. My girlfriend was president of the club, and I used to go and play drums for their worship band. And I also would speak from time to time because I was a pastor in the local community, and that's how they would get their teaching. And one night they brought in a pastor of a vineyard church. Do you all know what vineyard churches are? They're kind of new wave charismatic churches. He was a great guy. I think I would enjoy having hot wings with him on any given night of the week, but I did not like his theology. He was telling the story about how he was once a Buddhist for about 20 years of his life. And then he said, I think I was a better Christian as a Buddhist than as a Christian. That didn't sit right with me. He said he was more ethical. And that the concept that he had grace to forgive him of his sins let him make more mistakes. I was a better Christian as a Buddhist than as a Christian. Something rubbed me wrong with that. But the myth is, is that you have to follow Jesus in order to do things right. That's not exactly true. <laughs> you know, last Sunday, I'm appreciative of Reverend Ponder for preaching for me last Sunday. I was on the road back. I left 4.30 in the morning from Merritt Island in Florida to be at my cousin's graduation to come back here to be with you all in the evening. And uh, in South Georgia on I-75, I saw billboard after billboard after billboard of white Jesuses. Just white Jesus. Jesus was not white. As if that were the only problem with these signs. I would drive by and I'd see a sign and it would say, you need to repent. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And I thought, and I made the joke out loud, oh, that's it. I got the billboard message. I'm going to convert now. I don't understand the point of these signs, but fine, put them up. The one that really bothers me is the white Jesus where he's holding a machine gun. He's holding a machine gun. I don't know what the point is, but I'm a pastor. I told you I have a PhD in theology. I've been doing this for 22 years, and it made me want to turn away from Christians. What are we saying to people? 
It doesn't take much to read the Scriptures to think about or figure out what Jesus would think of that. I don't think He'd like it. It's kind of an ugly witness. When I was in college, one of my friends came to me and he said, we got to go protest down at the courthouse. They're going to take the Ten Commandments off the wall. So I went to my theology professor and I said to him, I said, what, I, what do I make of that? You know, he looked at me and he said, Jared, do you think if we have the Ten Commandments on the walls of any building, it's ever changed anybody's heart ever? I don't think it does. That's an interesting thing to think about for a moment. Well, I went with my friend anyway. I went to go observe. I'd never been to a protest before. So I went to go see it. And I looked and I watched Christians angry, mean, embarrassing us at the way they spoke to other people. What do you do when Christians behave badly? You see, we're still in that sermon series, journeying through doubt. I'm still going through the questions that this congregation has submitted to us. And there's a ton of them that say, what do we do about Christians who behave badly? What do we do when Christians are hypocritical? It's a stumbling block for even Christians to see other Christians not behave very Christianly. So what do we do? I think some people have the idea that if we just go back in time to some bygone era, everything will be better. Someone said, you know what the problem is, Pastor, is there's no prayer in schools. And I say to myself, well, who's going to be leading these prayers that you're wanting in schools? But nevertheless, I get the point. We want faithfulness somewhere. I saw on Facebook somebody was talking about how much better the world was in Decatur, Georgia in the 1970s. There was a different world. People respected their elders. No one hated each other. Everybody was good to each other. It was nice. It was perfect. It was the way God wanted it to be. And then I thought to myself, before even writing the response back to this person, I, I wanted to say, do you know what it feels to be a black person in Georgia in the 1970s? Was it good for them? No, there is no era that we can run back to where things are perfect because at every generation, there has been problems and in every generation of the church, there have been problems. And Christians have also not always behaved correctly. Does the church always act Christian? Well, in America, we have 30,000 plus denominations and we keep finding ways to divide. What does that do to the heart of God? We all know about the Catholic sex abuse scandal and how priests were moved from one parish to another and things were covered up. What does that do to the heart of God? What does it do to the victims? We all know that the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, is in trouble right now for covering up all kinds of sexual assault. And you know what? There's a famous preacher who assaulted a woman and the church said, Honey, we're sorry but you're going to have to let it go because if you talk about it, it's going to do a hindrance to evangelism. You're going to stand in the way of the gospel spreading as if the gospel only existed to lead people out of the fires of hell and into heaven. And the gospel doesn't apply to trauma? Doesn't apply to fixing broken hearts? And I know, it's all close to home because we live in this world right now. So let's go to the whimsical period of the Salem witch trials. Go look it up. Do you know that the church, the church did that? 
Do you know that little girls accused a slave? By the way, the church had a slave named Tituba. Did you know little girls accused her of witchcraft? And do you know it was all based on jealousy? <sighs> no. The church does not always act Christianly. So what do we do about it? Well, we can aspire to the better angels that we're called to. We can hear from Christ Jesus Himself as we heard from Him this morning out of the Holy Scriptures. Don't you know you're salt of the earth? Don't you know you're a city shining on a hill? We are to be the light for the world that is dark. No. Contrary to my favorite president, Lincoln, and to other presidents like Kennedy and Reagan and Barack Obama, the city on a hill is not America. It is the church. The church is called to be that thing which is different in the world that brings light to dark places. The church is to be the place that heals the trauma and brokenness in people's hearts. The church is to be the place that points people to God. So we can aspire to it, church. We can aspire to what we're called to be, even when we behave badly. But note this, not living up to our call is a deterrent for many people to come to Christ. When we behave badly, it affects other people. Has the church ever lived up to its calling? Yeah. Does it fail? We do. I heard my whole life my dad say things to people who denied God because of broken Christians. He'd say, makes no sense to me that you would be surprised because the church is filled with people and therefore it cannot be perfect. Broken people break things. Hurt people hurt people. So one thing is we can live up to and aspire to that text of being a city on a hill. Another thing we can do in response to this is remember that our failures are not the whole story. Remember, O oh Christian, the church has been called to dream up dreams, see visions, believe big things. It's called to lift the world. Don't you know it? We are not a club. We are supposed to be on mission and we're supposed to change the world. Don't you know it, church? We're supposed to believe in bigger things. And we have. Orphanages don't exist without the church. Back in the ancient world, Romans would take children who had deformities and throw them over the city walls out of the gates so they could die under the weather outside by themselves, slowly in agonizing death. And it was good women, good godly Christian women, who'd go collect up these unwanted children and take care of them. Boom! Orphanages created by the church. Hospitals didn't exist before the church. Someone once told me the word hospital means the inn of God. There's a reason why we don't have hospitals called uh, Charles Darwin General Memorial Hospital. There's a reason why we have it called St. Mary's. And you know what, my friends? Now, now they're under the corporate leadership again. But it was a charitable place. A place that took you hungry, broke, sick people and made them well again where they could meet God. The church used to do things, still does things. There's no concept of the human person as person in the ancient world. No concept of it. 
You had a persona. So if I were a lawyer, my persona in public was as lawyer. That was my role in the world. But as the ancient theologians got together, Tertullian and Irenaeus and others, and try to figure out how do we make sense of this one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the language started to develop around God's personhood. And then it was applied to human beings. And what it means is this. Only with theology did the human individual, you, develop a sense of dignity and worth and value. And now we can say each one of us, each one of you is a concrete, irreplaceable person of dignity and value made in the image of God, worthwhile, worth dying for, worth saving, worth loving. Church does things like that. And it was church men and church women who walked the streets of this fair city marching for the equality of people who look different, of people who came from different countries, origins, and fought for rights. And a lot of brave men and women walking right beside them who named Christ as their king. So we can live up, dream up, and aspire to being that light shining on a hill we can remember that our misdeeds as a church is not the whole story, that there are wonderful things that the church and Christians are responsible for. And then we can be honest. Be honest. When we fail, be honest. We need to learn to say we are sorry and repent. Turn around. Go the other way. And then just maybe we can take the words of St. Paul and put them right in our hearts. Not that I've already obtained it, friends, but one thing I do is I keep pressing on. This is my translation for you. I keep trying. I keep going to that calling place that God has called me to. I keep trying to be more like Jesus. And when I fall down, what do I do? I get back up. I dust myself off, and I keep following after the way of God. I keep going, church. And the church needs to keep going too. Can you keep going, church? Will you keep going? Will you keep going, church? I'm waiting for an answer. Will you keep going?